0: All right, well, I am thankful to God that He has made us in His image as relational beings. Some of you, I know, are more introverted than others, but we all need relationships with others, and these relationships often become more important to us as we get older and closer to death. I'm thankful that we so often get to be with one another as a church family, you maybe saw the title of the sermon today. It is with us to the end. Ironically, today in a sermon dealing with our desire to be with others, I can't be with you. You're watching a video recording of the sermon because I've been sick with COVID this week. I isolated myself from others for the recommended five days. Today is my first day of freedom. It's Friday Uh, and I'm recording this in an empty sanctuary, knowing that I know the likelihood is smaller by Sunday, but I can't preach with a mask with some of my cold symptoms and stuff, and and you probably don't want to be around me just yet. Uh, So I'm preaching via video, and I would much, much, much rather be with you, but this is the way it is for today. So thank you for your patience and understanding. Um, Let me me start uh, by reminding you of this, that there's not going to be anything on the screen this morning like slides like there normally is because you've got my big face on the screen instead. So uh, if you have a Bible with you, make sure you have that open and you're with it the entire time. If you have a Bible that you use on your phone, go ahead and open to that. We're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. As you're turning there, a question for you. Have you given much thought to who will be with you during your last days on earth? Kind of a sobering thought. Have you given much thought to who will be with you on your last days on earth? Maybe you have this picture in your mind of your spouse, kids, and grandkids all gathered around your bed in your home as you have a chance to share some final words and they have a chance to share some final words. Maybe you sing a song or two together, you pray together, and you die peacefully in your sleep. But we also know it's possible that we die alone in a nursing home. Maybe your spouse dies first, or maybe you don't have a spouse. Maybe your kids are there, but maybe you've never been able to have kids, or maybe some of your kids aren't present because your relationship is broken. Maybe you've given a lot of thought to who will be with you during your last days on earth, and maybe not. We're looking at the Apostle Paul, who is preparing for his last days. If you were with us last week, you saw Paul admitting this as he comes to a close of this letter to Timothy. This is the last God-breathed Scripture letter from Paul. He writes it personally to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he has told him this, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and he says, the time of my departure has come. But he's able to look back and reflect on his life and say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And he looks ahead to what is coming. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. That's what we saw last week at the tail end of 2 Timothy 4 verses 6 through 8. Today, we finish the rest of the letter. The letter isn't done yet. Today we wrap up our series in this short but rich letter in 2 Timothy. The last section focused on personal presence is both personal and practical. Today we'll see Paul express his desire for Timothy to come and be with him soon. He'll then name some who have stuck with him to the end and others who have not And we'll see Paul express his confidence that the Lord, whose rescuing presence has always been with him, will also be with him to the end until he ushers him into the heavenly kingdom. I think uh, a passage which we could quickly overlook, it seems like a lot of just kind of personal greetings and notes and that kind of thing, but I have found it to be very rich as I studied it this week and I'm looking forward to preaching it. Uh, even though I'd much rather be preaching it to you sitting right here. It's weird to preach to an empty sanctuary. Uh, but uh, because of the pandemic, we've done this before. And so trusting that God will use it and knowing I need help, let's pray. Uh, and if you're able to, go ahead and stand as we pray and then read the very Word of God. Father, uh, I need your help. Um, I'm not 100% uh, but I'm thankful for the health, I'm thankful uh, for your restoring me, and, and I pray that you would now uh, be at work in my mind and body and tongue that I might preach uh, faithfully your word to the people gathered today. Um, I pray that, that your spirit would work in a way that, that causes us to, to not just be taught, to, but to be repro- reproved and rebuked, uh, to be trained in righteousness. Um, I want to be faithful in preaching the word, and so help me with that, and then uh, be at work in us as we hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, here's God's word, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. Here's what we read. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds." The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. You can be seated. Which is weird to say when there's nobody standing. (laughs) But uh, hopefully you were where you were at. Well, in your bulletin, I did make a sermon notes page for today. Pretty simple outline. Uh, First point comes from verses 9 to 16. Some people might be with me. We shouldn't be surprised, as we've seen the personal relationship, the tight, loving relationship between father figure in the faith, Paul, and younger son in the faith, Timothy, and their relationship with each other. So we shouldn't be surprised that right away in verse 9, as the letter comes to a close, Paul, in his dying days, in his last days, knows that what he desires is for Timothy to be with him, and so he expresses that, do your best to come to me soon. And then some other notes. There's this long list of names of people who have either stuck with Paul or not. Verse 10 begins with a man named Demos. For Demos, Paul says in verse 10, in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demos deserted Paul, it says, Paul says, because he Loved this world. This is in contrast to what we just saw in verse 8 last week. Uh, those who have loved the appearing of Jesus. Demas has been uh, more attractively um, wooed by the world. And so he has deserted Paul and gone to the world. It's painful not just to lose a friend, isn't it? But to lose a friend to the world. Some of you have had this. Verse 10 continues with a couple of others who have gone to other locations. Look at verse 10. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Friends and co-workers moving away. Probably these guys just doing ministry in a new place. And, and it's just life circumstances. They were needed somewhere else. They moved on. You've had friends heavens to you who you loved have moved on. There's pain in that. Verse 11 Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Note here that even though death is coming, Paul's still expecting to do ministry all the way to the end. He wants Timothy to bring with him Mark because he's useful to him for ministry. Now, one who has remained with Paul has been Luke, co laborer in the gospel fellow missionary traveler, as we saw in the book of Acts. In fact, it is the very Luke who is the doctor who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and he's still with Paul in these last days. And then, and then this mark, we're assuming that this is the mark that many years before had withdrawn from Paul, and so He lost Paul's trust for a time. You can read about it at the end of Acts chapter 15. But now, here years later, the relationship seemingly repaired. Paul is requesting that Mark come and be with him in his last days along with Timothy and Luke. There's some really practical notes to follow in verses 12 and 13. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus... Now, you you might remember that Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus now, so Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus, likely is pointing to this fact, that the one who is delivering this very letter is the one that Paul has sent there to Ephesus. Tychicus, sent by Paul as a friend of Paul, sent by Paul to, to bring the letter to Timothy there in Ephesus, and Many assume also to take over the responsibilities for Timothy. If Timothy can then make the journey to go see Paul, Tychicus will be like the interim pastor there in Ephesus, many assume. So, very practical here. And then the very practical request in verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments, a a cloak, so we learned some things about Paul here. Paul liked his cloak. Probably they could have found a cloak for him there in Rome, but he wanted his own cloak. Some of you have that sweatshirt. You know what Paul is talking about. Also, winter is coming. It's just very practical. Maybe in your last days you're going to want some special thing, some material thing that was special and important to you, comfortable to you. You might want that by you. But it also tells us here in verse 13, I think, from what Paul's asking, that we know that he hasn't given up on learning. Yes, he is getting older. Yes, his death is coming very close. He's about to be executed, but what does he want? He wants his books. He wants his parchments. Probably some Old Testament scriptures, but we can't know exactly what it is here from the text. And then he gives this warning in verses 14 to 15, this warning about a man named Alexander the coppersmith. Again, we don't know much more about him except for that he was an opponent of the gospel message. And one thing that has been clear throughout this whole letter, and I think we see it again here, is that Paul's concern in his last days, knowing that his ministry is in, right, but I've fulfilled my ministry, right? Uh, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, he said, but he's still concerned, which is why he's writing this letter to Timothy, that the gospel mission keep going. What I have entrusted to you entrust to others who will entrust it to others also, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And so he's warning him about a guy who might seek to stop the advance of the gospel, a man named Alexander the coppersmith. Paul not wanting any vengeance from Timothy on this guy, but leaving that, of course, to the Lord. And then this final report in verse 16 about his legal proceedings. It says this, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. It could be that people had not come to Paul's defense because they knew the verdict. They knew how it was going to go and they didn't want to be associated with him. But much like our Savior Jesus who said from the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Or, like Stephen, you remember Stephen from the book of Acts? Remember who was overseeing Stephen's execution as they threw rocks at him until he died? Remember the one overseeing that? It was Paul before his conversion. Paul likely heard Stephen say these words, which we see in Acts chapter 7, Lord, do not hold this sin against them so maybe remembering Jesus, maybe remembering Stephen, Paul says, may it not be charged against them. Paul has been deserted. Paul has been beaten and imprisoned. He would have all sorts of reason to spend his final days wallowing in bitterness, but he's not. God has clearly worked in this man's heart. What if these are Paul's last days? What if he doesn't make it until Timothy comes? What if Timothy can't convince Mark to come with him? Between people opposing him, people deserting him, or people just moving on to other ministry, Paul might not have many with him when he dies. He can't be sure of any of this. There's so many variables he has no control over. So, where is Paul's confidence As he lives out his last days. Well I think it's here. We see it in verses 17 and following. Point number two. The Lord will be with me. The Lord will be with me. Listen to verse 17 again. But the Lord stood by me. And strengthened me. So that through me the message. Might be fully proclaimed. And all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Don't you love that? Opposed by many, deserted by trusted friends, no one standing with him at trial. But Paul says, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Oh, how many of you can say that with Paul? Death, divorce, desertion, yet the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And it wasn't just for Paul's comfort. Why did God stand by him and strengthen him? Why was Paul rescued again and again? Well, it was because it was so that, you see that there in verse 17, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. God rescued Paul from danger after danger, the lion's mouth, so the gospel could keep advancing. So, it's God's rescuing presence that gives Paul confidence. Look at verse 18 now. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory (coughs) forever and ever. Amen. This sounds like the end of the letter, but it's customary for a letter and with greetings. So we have those here in verses 19 to 22. Greet Prissa and Aquilo, the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth. I love Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers... God's people are a family, and so this is kind of, we do this in the Midwest, right? Like, say hi to the folks, you know? Uh, hey, say hi to your mom for me dear. right? Those kinds of things. We do that in the Midwest. That's kind of how they're ending the, this conversation, this letter here. Uh, he is passing along greetings. Say hi to these people. Greet these people for me. And then, finally, then, a quick benediction, These being the last God-breathed words through Paul in Scripture. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Grateful for this letter. So many things uh, for me as I've walked through it that have been so helpful. I want to leave us though today with just five lessons for us, from Paul's final words, five lessons. Now, if I had the screen available, I would have these listed out. These are in your sermon notes. Some blanks for you to fill in there, uh, and and hopefully you can follow along. Five lessons I think we can learn from this. Number one, let the people you love know that you want them to be with you. Let the people you love know that you want them to be with you. I love how direct Paul is throughout this letter with Timothy. that There's no, oh, well, he knows I love him because of all the time I spent with him. No, Paul just tells him, you're my beloved child, Timothy. From the very beginning, Paul makes it clear that he wants to be with Timothy. If you flip back in your Bible to chapter 1, verse 4, it says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And then here in chapter 4, verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. Church, let's love one another explicitly and directly, not subtly or passively. Let's not be ruled by Midwest nice where we never say with assertiveness what we really want, but we use subtle hints and sometimes passive-aggressive comments rather than just saying, I love you and I want you to come and visit me. Like Paul. Let's be the people we love. Let's let the people we love know that we want them to be with us. Number two, I think another lesson we can learn from Paul in this is making arrangements. we need to make arrangements to be with the people we love. Make arrangements to be with people you love. Life is complicated, and this passage really highlights that. People are moving from place to place. Things are complicated. Situations change. Paul could have done so many things in his final months. I mean, imagine, imagine like 2nd Romans. I love the letter of Romans. He could have written 2nd Romans, but what is the last letter that Paul writes? Instead, he writes this personal letter to one guy. And he arranges for another friend, Tychicus, to make the journey. Now now think about this. He's not just sending this via email to Timothy. This has to be hand-delivered. And the hand-delivered journey is going to be just less than a thousand miles to get from Rome to Ephesus. And he's asking Timothy then to make that journey from Ephesus up to Rome. Likely, hopefully, Tychicus taking over while Timothy's away. We have no record of this whole plan even working out. We don't know if Timothy made it to see Paul before his death. But making arrangements to be with the people we love is important. So church, we need others, and we can't be too tough to admit that. We need to be with people we love. And often, it takes work to make it happen. Amen says anybody who's tried to get families together with busy schedules around a holiday. Family calendars are complicated. Traveling isn't always fun. When your old friend is hurting, even though they live miles away, make arrangements to be with them. Make arrangements to be with the people you love. I think a third lesson we can learn from this is this. Be gracious to those who have offended you. Paul had been through so much from those opposed to the gospel outside the church. And then on top of that, he was deserted by friends like Demos. After all of the sacrifices that Paul had made for others, no one shows up at his trial to defend him. His response, not bitterness, but instead, may it not be charged against them. Oh, we should pray, God, give us a heart like Paul. Give us a heart like Stephen. Give us a heart like Christ. A heart to be gracious to those who have offended us. Help us not to be people who hold grudges. Help us to be people so astounded by the gospel again and again. You're going to sing here in a moment, sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. People who have been forgiven by God for our grievous offense ought to be gracious to those who have offended us. God help us to be gracious to those who have offended us. Number four, be concerned about the continued advance of the gospel. Again, just as Paul throughout this letter makes it clear that even though his journey is coming to an end, he knows the gospel must continue to advance through Timothy and others, even here through these warnings and these instructions to Timothy, remembering that God has rescued him. Why? So that the gospel message might be fully proclaimed to the Gentiles. So we must, up to our last days, be focused not so much on our medical report or our financial report, nobody wants to look at how your finances are doing in the market right now anyway. We don't want to be so focused on that that we fail to do whatever we need to do in our last days to make sure the gospel continues to advance. We give to the local church and to global missions. We pray for God to send laborers into the harvest. We write letters to lost family members. With however many days we have left, let's be people who are concerned with the advance of the gospel. And then number five, be confident that the Lord will be with you, even if others are not. Be confident that the Lord will be with you, even if others are not. Many had left Paul over the last months. People he thought he could depend on turned out to not be all that dependable. But this just highlighted this truth. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, Paul said. The Lord will rescue me. Did you catch that in verse 17 or 18? Where was it? Verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His kingdom. Not, not saying that nothing bad's ever going to happen. We know that's not true in Paul's life. He has faced all sorts of evil deeds. But ultimately, evil doesn't have the last say. No, it will be the Lord who ushers him into his heavenly kingdom. This is the confidence that Paul has in church, regardless of how things are going with others for you right now. Perhaps there is the sting of a recent betrayal in your life, or maybe the chronic dull ache that comes from fatherlessness or divorce. People have failed us, and we have failed other people. But the Lord is always faithful. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. He will bring me into his heavenly kingdom. That was Paul's confidence, and that can be ours. The Lord is always faithful. He will keep us day and night. As you sang earlier, so that on that day when our strength is failing, the end draws near, and our time has come, still our soul will sing his praise. Unending because he is with us and we will be with him. I am so grateful for this personal, practical letter from Paul to Timothy, all of it breathed out by God. God has used it to mold me, and it has certainly been profitable to our church, encouraging us to be people who keep the faith. Even as things get harder and harder. That we might become a church that really is increasingly molded by the Word of God. That we are increasingly motivated to keep going by the glory of God and for the glory of God. And that we are engaged in the work of advancing the gospel, of making disciples throughout God's world encouraged by letters like this letter from Paul to Timothy. It's been a good eight-week journey over the summer. Uh, just so you know, what we're jumping into already next week is the book of Hebrews. I encourage you to begin reading that on your own. Maybe you can read the whole thing in one sitting. Let's, uh, let's pray together. God, we are weaker and more fragile than we admit to others and even ourselves. We're grateful for the gift of people who know us and love us. We need one another. Help us to be people who love one another well. Thank you, Lord, that you know our weakness, that you know our sin, how frail we are. You know that our strength indeed is small. But God, we thank You that You have given us Your Son. That while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. That we might be forgiven. That You would reconcile us to Yourselves. So that we could be assured of Your presence throughout our lives.